The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today on Crawl Call, it's sex, love, yoga, and weight. What happens if you're a straight woman who falls in love with a gay man? Well, if you're Dr. Stephanie Torres, you make a musical about it. Plus, Emmy winner Martha Byrne is back, and she has the skinny on her new dramedy, Wait. That's what's coming up today on Crawl Call. And good afternoon, everybody. Or good evening, I guess I should say. Um, as you've noticed right about now, because you probably have recognized that the voice you're listening to is not the same voice that you heard at the top of the show. But if you're a regular listener, I bet you know who this is. This is Richard Sims, the executive editor of Soaps In-Depth magazine. And Dan is off on assignment right now. He's actually working on next week's show, which is going to be a uh, special look behind the scenes of Winterthorn, the upcoming web soap from the brilliant mind of Michael Caruso, the creator of Divanity. And um, I think that's going to be a really exciting show. So he's kind of uh, off working on a couple of things, and I happen to be stepping in tonight, and I'm really excited about tonight's show for, for two reasons, and that's because we have two guests. The first guest is someone I have never spoken to, but I'm really looking forward to, uh, and we'll bring her on in just a moment. And the second guest is Martha Byrne, who I've spoken to many times, and uh, I, like many of you, am a huge fan of. You remember her as Lily from As the World Turns, and she's got an exciting new project. But first up, we're going to talk to Dr. Stephanie Torres. Um, Dr. Torres is a professional sexologist, and I'm really interested to find out exactly what that, you know, what, what that entails. But more importantly, she's written a musical that is currently uh, playing in at the Maka Theater. I hope I pronounced that right, and she'll tell me if I didn't, uh, in West Hollywood, California. And we'll give you information about when you can see the show and all that. It's running through August 30th. But right now, help me welcome Dr. Stephanie Torres to the show. How are you, Stephanie? Hi, I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. Now, as Dan sort of teased at the top of the show, this uh, particular piece is a little bit uh, autobiographical. Tell us a little bit about the background of the story of the show. The story is based on a true event that happened to me. I went to a Kundalini yoga class one day and I had to partner up with someone and as I was holding his hands to do the exercise, I looked into his eyes and I felt an intense, you know, soul connection with him, like a recognition of some intense feelings that I had suddenly. And it wasn't just like I recognized him. It was like, I loved him. It was very, very intense. And, um, I couldn't get him out of my mind. And, after a while, um, I realized that I needed, well, actually, this is not in the play, but I actually went to a psychic to confirm what I thought. It was a deep soul connection. Turns out he's gay, 
and I had an intense sexual attraction as well. So I didn't know what to do about it. I just sort of kept following it. And ultimately, I told him how I felt. And I asked him if he wanted to enter into a sexual relationship with me. <laughs> and now, now, and that, that right there, you know, we in, cult, in the culture over the last 10 or 15 years, we've seen um, a lot of examples in popular media of sort of, uh, you know, relationships of various kinds, relationships meaning friendships, meaning mm-hmm. marriages, meaning whatever, um, right. between, you know, a, a straight person and a gay person. Of course, the most obvious example is, you know, TV's Will and Grace, very popular right. sitcom. Right. And in those scenarios, there's not a sexual component. There's not even, you know, it's not even... Right thought of as a sexual component. How did he react, uh, you know, when he is a gay man, you come to him and you're like, you know, listen, I'm really attracted to you. I, I feel right. a connection between us. <laughs> and I know you're gay, but, you know, what do you think? <laughs> well, you know, part of it was I had a lot of experience sexually. I had my last boyfriend was a tantric master. I knew a lot about red tantra and the spiritual components of sacred sexuality. And I told him that I understood that he wasn't attracted to me, but that because I was studying sexology, I knew how two people could have sex, even if one of them wasn't attracted. This is, this is as you can imagine, this is blowing <laughs> my mind, and probably the mind of a lot of other people. So I assume, <laughs> I assume he said, okay, let's, you know, let's give this a whirl. He, said, he was scared. He was nervous about it. But truthfully, he was a gay man that always knew he was gay. And somewhere in his back of his mind, he wanted to have an experience, a sexual experience with a woman in his lifetime. It was something that he told me later that he wanted to do, you know, kind of before he died, but he was never going to pursue it. So here was this opportunity. And he said, all right, I'll try it. How common do you think that is? And, you know, I don't know, I don't know how one even measures that, that, you know, whether it's a straight person who wants to experiment with homosexuality or a gay person who's like, you know, I've kind of always, because my personal experience, I've always said, was, Mm -hmm. you know, my own truth was uh, when someone says to me, you know, oh, you're gay. Are you sure you don't want to try women? I'm like, well, no, right. you're straight. Do you want to try? And, and you know, and it's, it's sort right. of two separate worlds. What's your experience tell you is sort of the, you know, what's the percentage, if you can guess, <laughs> something like that? Right. Of, um, of what's the spectrum we're looking at here? I, I, think, I think if I could just reframe that a little differently, I think this might help. Um, you know, I'm a straight woman. I've always been attracted to men. Um, but I went through a period where I really wanted to explore and experience more of my own sexuality. So I thought to myself, if I met a woman and I felt open and I wanted to explore it, if the opportunity presented itself, I would do it. And so I always kind of had that in the back of my mind, even though I wasn't sexually drawn to them, it was just kind of like a human experience and a curiosity. And I did get the opportunity to try it. And I explained to her how I felt. And I had the, the experience, and I didn't feel any differently afterwards, but I felt like, okay, I tried that. And I feel like there, we're now living in a time that it's more acceptable in a many circles to explore, to experiment, to expand um, without having to label yourself gay, straight, you know, whatever. I think it's becoming more acceptable to be more 
um, open and expansive into exploring the different, you know, realms of your own sexual experience. Now, the name of the play, for those of you who are just joining us, we're talking to Dr. Stephanie Torres, um, and the name of the, the musical is Sex, Love, and Yoga. And again, it's playing at the Maka Theater. Maka. Maka. Ma- I just can't say that for some Matcha. reason. Like macho man, like matcha woman. Okay, <laughs> matcha. And it's in uh, West Hollywood, California, and it's running now through August 30th. It's running Friday and Saturday nights at 8 o'clock and Sundays at 2 and 7 p.m. So... How long did this relationship last? Because it was you, you were actually married, if I'm not mistaken. I have been married several times, but I haven't. My last marriage ended at the millennium, so it's been 15 years. And um, You're due for another. I'm not. Well, you know, I'm kind <laughs> of outside of my own box. I've been actually married three times, but I've been on a journey of wholeness and completeness. And for me personally, it's about accepting all of myself and that's why I became a sexologist to help people to accept all of who they are all of their sexuality and you know I'm 53 so it's not like I'm I'm a I'm a young spring chicken <laughs> I'm 52 so I'm right there with you we can we can oh, cluck through the yard together <laughs> you how did this relationship progress from, well, you know, I, yeah. b- because it started as, you know, sort of you coming to this person and saying, I'm sexually attracted to you, you know, I know you're gay, right. you want to, how, how did it progress from that point forward? Well, you know, I, it had to go really slowly because, uh, because he's not attracted, um, there were certain things he didn't feel comfortable doing, and I said, I don't have an agenda. So I basically had to deconstruct my whole way of going about connecting sexually and be really present with him and see what he felt comfortable doing or what he didn't feel comfortable doing and just really um, see where it was going to go. And as it turned out, we found things we both really enjoyed. We both like, um, you know, watching a little gay porn. We both enjoy that. And um, we both found connection, but bigger than that, we found a love for each other. And the love is not a traditional love. It's more like a deep, soulful love because we both have a very strong spiritual practice. So we bring that also into our sexual connection. Very, very unusual, I will tell you that. Um, I heard once long ago um, about, I believe it's a uh, psychiatric term sort of um, referred to as twinning, where it's two people who, despite not having been, they are not twins, they are not related in any way, shape, or form, but they they feel connected from the moment they meet. You know, they usually meet later in life, mm-hmm. and they feel, they feel an instant bond as if they've known each other all their life. Mm-hmm. Is this is this sort of along those lines where it's just it's just a connection that you just feel compelled to explore with the other person? You know, I, I wish I could say yes because that's a much, much more romantic way of seeing it. <laughs> I've read about <laughs> I've read about twin flames, these soulmates. And I can honestly say no. I can say that he did not. You know, the play is actually a takeoff on this true story. There were things that were changed in the play to make it much more. Um, theatrically pleasing, but it is, there is a lot that's very, very accurate. But what's different is that I felt this connection with him and he did not feel this with me, but he did have, he saw that I had, he's 20 years younger than me. So he, he saw that I had a wealth of knowledge and information. I had been heading toward getting my doctorate in sexology and, um, he just was, was the kind of person was willing to try 
And, and then what happened was we progressed, and we're actually still together, and it's been almost two years. But now, now we have an open relationship. That's what I was just going to ask. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. you know, there's such a thing as a sexless marriage, but there's also yeah. a marriage, you know, that involves sex, just not necessarily with one another. And right. is, is that sort of the situation that you find yourself dealing with now? Yes. Um, what it is is that we are in an open relationship because we both want, like he would like to meet a man to marry, to have a child with, but he hasn't met that man. So he dates. And we are together a lot, and we have a sexual thing, and he discloses that to any potential man that comes along, and we've been fine with it. And at the moment, I'm not dating, but if I want to, I can, and I will disclose that in all honesty. And this just kind of, we're just outside of the traditional box. And it works for you, which is, and I think yeah. that's sort of, in my mind, what's important for every couple. Every couple is different, yeah. and every couple yeah. has to find sort of their own boundaries of what's acceptable to them and what's not. Yes, absolutely. And I, I can tell you this. I don't recommend this for people um, as, a, as a path because it's very, I, I have a lot of great experience. I have a lot of positive experience of love and um, desirability and all that, but you know, to be partnered up sexually with someone who has no sexual attraction to you can really do a number on your head if you're not very secure, you know? I would assume that there's also issues of if one or the other of you were to meet someone and, you know, he wants to find someone, he wants to fall in love, that there could be very, you know, there could be issues of jealousy. There's also issues of, you know, we've sort of created this life together over the last couple of years. How do, do we move forward with that life and incorporate this person into it? Or do we go our separate ways? Well, that's where the yoga part comes in because both of us are very, very devoted yogis and very, very committed to our, our soul's purpose and path. And we talk a lot. We're very, very open about that. And the truth is when we first got together and, you know, it just started, he did meet someone, and it was devastating for me. And then I had to sort of get my conscious mind wrapped around it and realize, do I want to lose him or do I want him in my life, even if it means to let go of the sexual part? So we took a break from the sexual part, and then we stayed friends, and I realized that I loved him deeper, and I loved him more. And that relationship that he had sort of fell apart, and then we found ourselves saying, well... We can add the sexual part back, but let's stay really conscious so that when somebody comes in, we can close that part if we need to. You just have to love big enough, you know? Do we as a people make too big a deal out of not only sex as a whole, but in particular sexual I don't know that you would consider it in your situation, but what we traditionally think of as sexual infidelity, you know, with someone cheating on. So do we make too big a deal out of that? Um, I would say that I wouldn't make it, I wouldn't put it in those terms, but I would say this. We have to become more conscious and more responsible for, with who we are and what our viewpoints are. We can't just say, well, this is the way things have to be. Because according to who, you have to decide what things have to be for you. If you've had a lot of people betray you in relationships, then I think you need to be honest with people and work on communication so that when you draw in a partner, you feel safe and comfortable, and that you can talk about potential issues that come up. 
it's about really getting clear with yourself and being able to communicate with other people. I'm not here to tell you what your values should be. You need to figure those out and then live by them. What's the difference between a sexologist and a sex therapist? Well, you know, a sexologist is a broad term, and basically I have a doctorate in sexology. It includes um, a certificate in clinical sexology, erotology, which is like erotic art, uh, all things erotic. Um, Also, I have a certificate in sex education. I'm working on a PhD in sexology, which is the highest degree you can get. And I wanted that degree because it's, it's, it's all these little parts are all part of something bigger. Sexology is this big study of sex, what people do, how they feel about it, and all aspects of sexuality in our culture, in our history, in the world. Huge. And am I right that the play, Sex, Love, and Yoga, uh, yeah. that's your dissertation? Yes. This is my final project. Um, because it was such an unusual pairing that I had, and I I was fascinated by it. I hadn't seen anything written about it, and I'm at the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in San Francisco, and my advisors were suggesting that I do, you know, do something creative, and uh, actually a gay friend had said, hey, this sounds like a musical. It sounds like a play. I said, I'm going to write it into a play. So I I started working on it, but I'm not a playwright, so I meditated, (laughs) which... (laughs) I mean, I did write a version of it, but it wasn't great. So I meditated like mad, and I'm a big believer in meditation. You really draw to you what you need. And I amazingly brought this amazing person into my life, Kate Sullivan Gibbons, who has a master's in playwriting. And she loved my story and loved me and what what we were doing. And she basically rewrote what I had and wrote songs, and we just collaborated on this thing. And we just attracted the most amazing actors, great singers and performers, and it's turned into this incredible gift that we are just lovingly putting out there for people. And there's actually, if I'm not mistaken, this the, the play itself focuses not only on, on the autobiographical aspect of your relationship, but it's, mm-hmm. it's like seven or eight characters, and they're, uh, if, I'm, if I'm correct, they're all connected through the yoga class. Is that right? Yes. Well, actually, there's seven characters. They're all connected to the main character, who's based on me. The main character's storyline is based on my story with my gay yogi. Um, and then the main character has a roommate. The roommate has um, a relationship partner. Um, then there's another relationship, her, her longtime girlfriend and her long-term relationship. And what, what I did was when Kate came on board and rewrote everything, I said, ooh, this is going to be great. I'm going to become the creative sexologist, and I'm going to work sexual teachable moments into this play and everybody who's watching is going to go oh my god that's me oh that's me i've been there oh i can relate to that so you know instead of sitting in sex therapy you can sit there and watch the play going oh wow how (laughs) are i going to work that out you know (laughs) it's gonna be more entertaining when 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 people find out that you know that you have this background or that mm-hmm. you know you you are the inspiration for this play, when you go mm-hmm. to say opening parties or things like that, do people come up to you and like sort of pull you aside and say, "Okay, listen, I have a story, you need to hear it," or "I have a problem, how do I solve it?" They usually say they usually grab my arm, pull me aside, and say, "I need to talk to you." <laughs> I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. You know, and I can I can just see it. It's like, oh my god! And then once they've seen the play, their eyes get really big, and they're like, wow, 
you said so much. You There's so much in there for me. And that was very specific. I crafted this so that most people could see that our sexuality runs throughout everything that we are. It's an integral part of our humanness, you know, and for better and for worse. <laughs> this is not only, you know, a musical, not only a play, but it's sort of a learning experience as well. And you yeah. have, you know, sort of supplemental guides for people who yeah. want more information. I do. You know, I knew that most people, well, a lot of people don't even know that there are such people as sexologists. They might, they might have heard of sex therapy or something or seen something on TV, but they won't readily go seek out a sex doctor, per se, unless there's something drastically wrong. So I thought, you know, people are going to come to this play. Let's give them a little fun, teachable moments, enjoyable, interesting story, and then let's put some extra stuff in the program. So I have supplemental materials in the program. There's um, a wonderful, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a wonderful sheet called a Yes, No, Maybe sheet, and you can imagine the kinds of things that might be on there that you can look at with your partner. Oh, do we want to try this? Could we try that? Are you open to experimenting with new things? Well, yeah. I actually just got a question via the mm-hmm. magic of the Twitter machine for, for you. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. they're, they're, they're saying... I assume it's different in every case, but at what point in a developing relationship does it become important to share not only personal histories but sexual histories, including sexual issues that can be incredibly difficult to talk about? That's a very important question. Um, My particular point of view is sexual history, as in I have to disclose that I have this, you know, sexually transmitted, you know, disease, if you will, um, or infection is the word I'm looking for, because we're now calling them sexually transmitted infections, not diseases. Right. And um, that, I feel very strongly that that needs to be disclosed before any uh, penetrative sex or any possibility of transmission. I think that that is the bottom line, because a person has to have the option to say, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. You may be comfortable with that, but I'm not comfortable with that. So, and I recommend outside the bedroom. Don't have that right before something's going to happen. Have that consciously and mindfully and respectfully. Respect your partner enough to have that conversation. You know. And, and what if it's it. not something like that? What if it's something more, you know, almost generic? Like, you know, listen, I I don't particularly like sex, or I, right. you know, something along those lines. Is that something, you know? Is it sort of you have to feel your own way through a relationship and say, okay, you know what, we're sort of starting to heat up. This is maybe the time we should have this conversation. Yeah, I think people, I think people know when. I think people just put it off, don't want to have it, you know. And I think that blows up in people's faces more often than not. I've had girlfriends say, oh, God, I don't want to bring him down. I don't want to have that conversation. I'm, and then the longer you go not having it, the harder it is. And the more it builds up inside you, it's almost better to just wait for the right moment. When you feel like this is a relationship that you want to have or keep, then just, you know, make a time to sit down with that person outside the bedroom and just say there's something that's weighing heavily on me. I just want to share this with you and see how they respond. And, of course, the terrifying fear is I'm going to tell them this this thing about me and they're going to turn and run. Right. Well, that's why it would be better to tell them that earlier, wouldn't it? Because if they can't handle that fact about you that's true about you that you have to live with and come to terms with, they're probably not the right person. And if they embrace you and love you and support you, that's probably a good indicator you can go deeper. 
With Sex, Love, and Yoga, the musical, um, what would you say, like, are there, what are the types of music that you'll hear in this show? Oh, wow. It's so fun. There's some music that's whimsical and fun and funny and relatable, and there's some music that will just touch you and just touch a very deep place inside you, and will you'll be moved profoundly. I mean, you might you might shed a tear, you might you will laugh, you will relate to it. It, it. Everybody who's seen it has embraced me, has thanked me, and has said, "You touched me, you've moved me, you inspired me." I'm telling you, this play has it all. When you decided to do this. What did, mm-hmm. you know, this is your story, but it's also someone else's story. Did you yeah. go to him first and say, you know, um, just so you know, I'm thinking about doing this, <laughs> and how do you feel about this? Or did you say, the heck with this, I'm doing it, I don't care what no. you think. <laughs> well, no, he's still in my life, and integrity is a very important, um, you know, part of who I am. So I, I talked to him about it. I told him that the story was so important, and it was a great gift that I had, and it was something I felt that I wanted to share with the world. And when I started writing the play, I asked him how he felt about it every step of the way. And when Kate came on board, he met her and she, you know, she did us proud and we, we drew in the right cast and everything is done so beautifully, artfully. I mean, it's kind of shocking. There's not really, the only nudity is, you know, a man takes off his shirt. So it's not graphically nude, but it's intimate, you know, it's simulated sex. Having tackled all of these things, what's next on the horizon for you? Well, I'm getting my PhD. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> I'm actually um, I'm teaching some goddess workshops at um, Indigo Lab in Los Angeles. It's a yoga studio that's also doing some uh, peripheral workshops. I'm teaching an introduction to Kundalini Yoga for the next uh, two Monday mornings which is a donation-based class if anyone wants to come and uh, see what Kundalini Yoga is all about. It's the Yoga of Awareness at Indigo Lab Los Angeles. And then I'm also teaching a goddess workshop, a three-hour goddess workshop there, helping women to really claim their inner goddess and find their sacred sexual self. Um, Do you have a website where people can uh, kind of get in touch with all of your different stuff? Yes. um, I have a website called Getting to Love. Getting, T-O-L-O-V-E dot com, gettingtolove.com. And it has lots of information about me, my background, and they can sign up on my mailing list, and then they'll be informed of any upcoming events. I'm also going to be opening a private practice, so I'll be able to see people um, in my office in West Hollywood, Skype, or via phone call. So if they're interested, they can send me an email at uh, Dr. Stephanie Torres, that's D-R-S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, T-O-R-R-E-S at gmail.com. Dr. And if Torres, they have a question I, about something, they can also send in a question, and I can answer online. Fantastic. Um, Dr. Torres, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come and hang out with us and to share with oh, us your, your you. very personal story. It's amazing that you, uh, that you are sharing this. Thank you so much for having me. It's my gift, my gift and my honor. I hope people will go to my website, and I really hope they will come to the play. 
That's Dr. Stephanie Torres. She is, uh, and you can go see the play, which is called Sex, Love, and Yoga. It's playing now through August 30th at the Matcha Theater at, uh, in West Hollywood. It's on Fridays and Saturdays at 8 p.m., Sundays at 2 and 7 p.m. Uh, and stay tuned. We'll be right back with Martha Byrne, who will be telling us all about her new, ser- her new web series, Wait. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hey, soap fans, are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? Well, for 20 years now, soap fans have looked no further than SoapCentral.com. Every day, SoapCentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. You can take a peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews or share your thoughts with other soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. Now you'll know who slept with who, who's related to who, and of course, who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, there are exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much, much more. So whether you're watching The Young and the Restless, Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, or The Bold and the Beautiful, or if you're reflecting on some of the soaps that are no longer with us, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. Now, let's get back to more of this week's Pearl Call. And welcome back to the second half of the show. Uh, If you are just tuning in, you're saying, hey, who is that? That's not Dan. I thought this was Crawl Call, and it is Crawl Call, but today it's Sims Call because I'm stepping in and taking over for Dan while he's on assignment. Regular listeners to the show know that I'm Richard Sims. I'm the executive editor of Soaps in Depth magazine, and in that capacity, I have been very, very lucky to, over the last, oh gosh, I don't know how many years, talk to our next guest several times, and she's actually one of my very favorite people because she uh, not only is beloved for her role as Lily on As the Wall Turns, but more importantly, she is one of the smartest people you'll ever talk to from behind the scenes in this industry. Um, she gave us Gotham, which uh, we're going to ask about for an update on. But more importantly, she just recently launched Wait, a new series that if you're a fan of Unreal on Lifetime, then you really need to check out Wait because it's sort of the same thing with a look behind the scenes of what happens after a reality show. So please welcome Martha Byrne to the show. Martha, thanks for hanging out with me. Thank you for such a sweet introduction. That was very nice. I appreciate you know, that. It makes me feel one good. Of, one of the very first interviews I ever did on the air, which was on my podcast, was with you, and I was just blown away by how smart you are about the Thank industry, you. about about the soap industry, about what makes it work, what doesn't make it work, and, and your, your thoughts on it. So I'm really excited to be talking to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot. It's been, you know, I have a lot of... Look, I, I always say Monday morning quarterbacking is, is always easier than actually being on the front lines. You know, I understand that. But I've been doing this for such a long time. I'm coming up on, gosh, oh, 36 years of being in the business, which is insane to me. But oh, with that comes knowledge. And you can either use it to your uh, advantage and learn and get better and help other people, uh, or you can, or not. And 
I, I've been on the front lines, but yet it's, uh, I hope I can help other people um, succeed in their own projects, et cetera, and bring that knowledge to other people. Well, certainly what I've seen is that you are very willing to jump into other people's projects. I mean, you've got your own projects going all the time, and yet, you know, whether mm-hmm. it was um, appearing on Steve Silverman's Pretty, whether it was appearing on mm-hmm. Anacostia, you know, you're, you're really very willing to uh, just jump into anybody's project whole hog and, and really, you know, give them the support that comes with, in, in all honesty, that comes with having a name like Martha Byrne attached to something. Uh, I've also, I really loved Pretty. I thought it was hysterical, and I loved Steve, and, you know, I have a, a extremely warm place in my heart for Anthony Anderson from Anacostia, who I met through the Indie Soap Awards and that whole world, you know, starting with Gotham, which was around the time that Venice started, you know, the same kind of time when jumping to the web was kind of, people didn't really know how to perceive it as far as making money um, and what what it what it was at the time, which was really just a platform for all of us to make our projects on our own dime and do what we loved to do. And because of that, it drew attention to other people's projects. And I, you know, Roger Newcomb and it was, uh, and Damon Jacobs, they, they really put the light on the other projects that wouldn't necessarily get the attention that a daytime actor would get for their shows. So mm-hmm. you got to meet these wonderful people who had a vision and were talented. And uh, look, I, I think it's important for you not only to give back, but, but it was a lot of fun. And I really, it's, it's always nice to be appreciated. And uh, who doesn't want that? You know, who doesn't want to feel appreciated as a performer and, have, and you're, for your brain and for what you have to contribute? It's, uh, it makes you feel good. Uh, and so that's why you get involved and, and hopefully to help others succeed uh, in, in, in the long run, uh, whether I can, I'm, whatever I can do, I'm, I'm willing to help if people are open to it and open to listening and hearing what I have to say and, and allowing me to help them succeed if, and, and then they can go on their way, you know, to their if, next if adventure. They're not, they're or, <laughs> if well, they're that's not, very they're nice idiots. to say, but you know, look, look, I, I can only do what I can do. It's just, it's, it's, if you want to take advantage of what I have to offer, I'm, I'm willing. Um, and I, I, I feel like it's, I put myself in their shoes. I put myself as an actor working with really fabulous directors. I really trust their guidance because they know better than I do because they've been doing it more or they have a different vision. Um, and I trust them. It's more about trust, I think, than anything else is that uh, you have to take a big leap but if you're being helped along on that leap, then why not trust the person that's helping you that, that you, you know, respect. And so I, you know, I, I have the same influences in my own life that have, I have, that have helped me uh, take those leaps. And, and because of that and taking the chance and trusting, it has proven successful for me in my own life. Because, you know, I think I think things like the Indie Soap Awards, We Love Soaps, um, and some of the projects themselves have sort of helped advance the cause of web soaps. But the basic problem has been pretty much from the beginning monetization. You know, how do you break sure. out? How do you how do you make money? Has that changed? Is it becoming any easier to sort of, you know, 
break out of that box and figure out how to monetize things? No, no. Unfortunately, I, I, I'm, I'm. I think Dennis is is an exception, and I think that for a few reasons, jumping from Guiding Light to Venice, it was a natural progression, and fans wanted that couple, and they got it. You know, they, there was an instant gratification from jumping from Guiding Light to Venice, and I think what Crystal did was was extremely smart, and and was able to bridge that audience to her own show. Um, that's like lightning in a bottle. You know, it's really hard to get that now. So I don't think it's changed very much. I think that there's this whole influencer kind of world, which is, you know, I'm learning a lot about that with Darren Strauss, who's my you know, writer and creator of weight. And we're, we're, she comes from that world of, of uh, the digital world and, and the monetization of these projects and branding projects uh, and how difficult that is. Sometimes it's a chicken or the egg. Sometimes it's a brand that wants a, needs a project to exploit their own brand. Sometimes it's selling ad space before, after, middle of a show. Very difficult to do. Very, very, very difficult to do. Um, and even in the bigger world, and I say bigger world, the bigger digital projects, the uh, comedians in cars getting coffee, Jerry Seinfeld has Acura as their sponsor. You know, they put up a lot of money for those projects, uh, but there's a short list of those. So it's, it's, it's just, there's not a science to it. It's trying to find the right match uh, through contacts, through um, making something that people want to see more of. That's another challenge, and that's, a, that's another uh, way to get people to pay attention to what you're doing. Um, and opening up your Rolodex, you know, seeing who you know. It's, it's a, we all know people who know people. So it's constantly, it's a constant daily uh, job to find people to invest in your project, be a part of your project, have a vision for, their, for themselves to add to your project. It's, uh, it's never, never ending, never ending. So no, there hasn't been a lot of monetization uh, but that that doesn't mean it's not coming, and it doesn't mean that it's not available. You just have to find it, and it's like it's it's challenging. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Martha Byrne. And Martha, um, tell folks a little bit about your latest project, Wait, uh, which is one of my favorite things to hit the web in a long time. I, I Thank actually you. I should have known about it and I didn't until for some reason I happened to stumble across um Maura West. I was I was you know, I was actually interviewing Maura West for the magazine and she mentioned that her daughter plays your daughter and I was like, how do I not know about this? Because 'Cause I'm sometimes just out of the loop. <laughs> so tell right. us a little bit about this awesome project. Well I did um I was worked on a show called Crisis on NBC and the director was Fred Keller. Uh, and I had known Fred. Fred directed the first film I ever did when I was 11 years old called, called The Eyes of the Amaryllis. And this is the next time we worked together again. I mean, this is a crazy gap of working, but we were always friends, but we'd never worked together uh, again. And Darren and I had met at the Writers Guild. We, we were at, met when the, when the Guild invited uh, digital writers, on, uh, online writers, to join the Guild. I joined, Darren joined, uh, many people joined the Guild, and they had a party. And they showed a clip of Downsize, which was Darren's show. They showed Gotham, a clip from Gotham. And we, we met Darren. And, and Darren had watched As the World Turns and was a fan, which was so nice. And we just chatted and we got along. And I 
Darren and I kind of went our different ways. Like we, we, we crossed paths here and there. And then Darren saw me host the Indie Soap Awards, which I wrote the monologue for the first, uh, first year, which was all comedy. Because that's kind of what my real self is, is a lot more comedy than, than drama. Does and Darren said people? that I needed to play Claire. In Does that piece. surprise so anyway, people so that you're so that you're that you are so actively interested in comedy? Uh, people that know me would never be surprised at that <laughs> because you know, ask ask anybody on the crew of As the World Turns. It was like Martha's coming on the set. It's time to like sit back and have some laughs because <laughs> I spent ninety percent of my time laughing on that set and making people laugh. Um, it it was just. And Michael Park and I are like, you know, we need to like take take it on the road. The comedy team that we are together, even though I didn't work with Michael Park, we were we were kind of the entertainment for everybody, um, um, <laughs> and we had a lot of fun. So, and in my own life, I've just comedy is human, and, and it's just it's everywhere in my life, you know. So, so I think you know that Darren had seen me on the show, but never saw that side of my acting really, and. So when we, I got the script and, and life went on and then I went after crisis, Fred Keller and I were, were discussing and I, things and he said, do you have anything in, coming down the pike? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm going to send you some scripts of people I have my, in my inbox of things that are potential projects. And he read Wait. He thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever read and said, you need to play this part. I will do it for free. I will direct it for free and let's do it. And so when a, when a director who's done 200 hours of primetime television and he was a producer on Blue Bloods and director and says he'll do that, you, you put it together. You find a way to put it together. So the fans, you know, we did a, a Kickstarter campaign and we raised some money. Uh, Indiegogo, I'm sorry. I'm going to make the wrong And um, <laughs> make sure we plug the right people. Uh, and we did the pilot and we shot the pilot and got this amazing cast and Really, we shot it over a weekend, and what happened was we put the pilot together, and we had a development deal for developing it for television that was uh, put on our table after it had kind of gotten out to to our our management, et cetera. And for six kind of six months, it went back and forth, and and it just ultimately wasn't the right deal for us for the show. We felt like we were not going to the show was not going to be the show that we originally envisioned. And we decided to release it on our own and see what happened. And, of course, it's been hugely successful and we've gotten some amazing reviews and feedback. And so, you know, again, it's when you go into the big, the big world of television and, the, 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 and putting yourself out there, there's a lot of uh, walls that you need to climb over to make sure your show ends up being the same show that you wanted to produce. And... It's just a challenging position for people like myself, even though I've been in this business my whole life. I've, you know, it's like someone made the comment like, okay, you have three Emmys and you can't play the, your own, play the lead in your own, the show that you, you know, you created that character. And it's like, it's kind of how the business is. It's kind of like, that's why people get, keep going back to the indie production. They keep going back to doing their own projects because that's really the only way that you can uh, fulfill the vision and, hope that people see your vision and then want to take it to the next step, which is kind of where we are right now. I was going to say, what happens next, you know, because the show has been really well received and, you know, people are already, you know, obviously clamoring for more. So what happens next? 
Well, we have a few options, you know, and, and our options were, were one for the last six months that didn't seem to be where it, it just, just didn't work out. And now we have other options that we're looking at on our table. You know, our table was, was uh, going down the road that we didn't really feel was right for the project. So now we have options. And we, Darren wanted to release the pilot so people could see it. You know, if we had developed it for television, no one would ever have seen the piece that you saw. No one right. would ever have seen the work that we put in. It would have changed. It would have morphed into God knows what. And now we put it out there so people understand what we want to do. So we have meetings all next week, and we have wonderful opportunities for the show. And we want to produce more episodes, obviously, uh, and continue where we are. And this is a story about Claire and her family and her friends and her home life after they come home from these shows. And something like The Biggest Loser, for instance, you know, they go home for three months and they're on their own. Like, they don't have... Uh, anybody there, the support system's gone, the chefs are gone, they're back to their family and their, you know, their real life, and it's very difficult to manage and full of all these characters that now perceive Claire in a different way or jealous or insecure about her appearance or, you know, the struggles of, of keeping your weight off. And it's, it, there's comedy everywhere. You know, there's, there's comedy, there's, uncomfortable relationships and someone called the show it's fun comfortable which I think I love that term because it is funny but it makes you kind of uncomfortable because people I thought that was really true in the really... scenes with, with Claire and her sister you know uh, yes. the sister who doesn't quite get this is a new person standing in front of you and I've got you know my whole life has changed and, right. and, and her sister doesn't seem to really be able to grasp that yeah and it's not about her anymore the sister it's about Claire which Claire is going to get all this attention now, as opposed to her sister, who always was the number one, you know, always was mm-hmm. the most successful and, and the thin sister. And like the whole dynamic of their relationship is going to change. And we'll get to see more family. We'll get to see Claire's parents and her friends. And how does she deal with the, the day to day of now being on television in a small town which I've experienced in my own life, you know, being, being on a TV show every day and then walking into the class, you know, the classroom situation and the teachers Mm -hmm. and the moms and, and how people treat you once they find out that you were on television and how things change. And so Claire's like, doesn't have any idea of how to handle this kind of instant fame or her children, you know, her kids. But there's just, uh, it's, it's, it's the future of it is just, really beautiful as far as what where these characters go and who we meet along the way. One of the other things that you sort of touch on in the pilot that it, it really fascinated me is the little things that people who have not gone through what Claire went through, who were not on this show and, you know, and lost all this weight, that they wouldn't, they do casually without even thinking, you know, like offering food that, that, you know, look, I just lost all this weight. The last thing I want is you to put a cupcake in my hand, and yet you don't yeah. think about it. You just casually do it. And it's it's kind of passive-aggressive for her sister. You know, it's that, <laughs> yes. that, that, oh, but you would eat it, that whole plate. You know, like you've lost, you should celebrate now. You lost all that weight. You can eat now. It's like, no, I can't eat like that anymore. The struggle can, from day one is is real. And you're right, like, 
even when you're on a diet myself and I go to like a party or something or my mom or somebody cooks or something like, oh, you can have a bite. You can have a, yep. oh, just have one. I'm like, if I have one, I'm going to have 20. So I, could you just <laughs> not bring the fresh warm bagels into my house right now? Cause I'm going to eat them. So even on a smaller, much smaller scale, I mean, I go through the, my own, my own struggles with, with uh, the temptations of real life and trying to maintain a weight and all of those things. So I understand this character. I mean, I really get her struggles uh, personally and I know how hard it is just for me, you know, just for, for myself. So I magnified that by like a hundred and like thought about this poor woman stuck in a, in a ranch for three months with, 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 with no family, no friends, no food, exercise. I mean, there's got to be a little bit of, the brain must be a little fried by this point, uh, a little manic about just she's kind of changed. Her whole her whole personality is is, is changed. Um, and is she still the heavy girl inside the thin body, or is she changed into a new person who needs a new life? Like, what is her life now as this person? So, and there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of divorce when this happens and there's a lot of relationship changes and, and I know, you know, I did my research. There's, there have been children who have cried when they've seen their family members come mm-hmm. out and like ran and hid because they didn't recognize them. And like this stuff happens, like the, the stuff that goes on in these shows is insane. Like just in the trainers and what they do and how they want to win and want to be, it's just insane. So to pull back that curtain and do it in a humorous way. And when it's humorous, I mean real life humor and just the ridiculousness of how people behave. I find it a great way to tell the story with humor. Um, and it fits my, right up my alley. You know, that, that's, that's how I feel like, I feel like you can find humor in just about anything. Um, and, and the darkness of people and kind of the, how people behave can be a, so obscene. Which makes it sort of, the pilot sort of focuses on Claire's life, you know, starting the moment she walks out the door of the show. And she can't, of course, talk mm-hmm. about whether she's won or not. If the show were to continue and, you know, let's say season two, you wanted to do something different, could you see doing a season where uh, it's actually behind the scenes of the show, that kind of thing? Well, I think we have to tell that. I think we have to, we have to bring that element into the show. Because at some point we're going to have to find out if she's won or not and go back to the ranch, you know, go back to where she's come from, uh, see that world, meet the people that she's met for those three months. Like, who did she meet? Like, who were her friends? Who did she bond with? And I think that has to be told. And the trainers, you know, coming back. And absolutely, I find that uh, I feel like people need to understand Claire first and kind of Mm -hmm. see her family and then... Who was she for those three months? And I know that there's the element, I know that Darren wants to bring in the element of who she met at the ranch. And, like, they're not supposed to see each other. You know, they're not supposed to talk, communicate, email, text, nothing with anybody that was was on the ranch. Because if you do, you get in trouble and you can get thrown off the show. And if people take pictures of you in social media, you could be disqualified. I mean, this is all real stuff. So... Uh, and yet at the same time, those like, are the people who you can relate to best because they went through exactly. what you went through. And you're not talking to them, and you're not allowed to talk to them, and you're not allowed to communicate, and, and there's there's no support system. Is, the support system is gone for her. So the draw and the need for that will be real. Uh, and 
who knows if she gets temp- tempted to cross the line just for her own sanity, you know, to find out, find some, <laughs> and how are they all doing? Like, how are all her friends doing and surviving? And, uh, you know, there's been, there's so much, so many people hook up on these shows behind the scenes because of their need for, you know, that, that, that attention. And, and, uh, there's a lot of drama that goes on behind the scenes with these shows. <laughs> I mean, there's just, I know too much. <laughs> I know too much, but I want, but I'd love to be able to, uh, show it. What did you learn from Gotham? What lessons have you carried from your experience of creating Gotham? Uh, which I think you did 13 episodes of, if I'm not mistaken. We did. We did. What did sure. you learn from yes. that experience that you were able to bring to the table when you started wait? Well, I love the fact that there was instant, instant feedback from the fans. I loved that element of it. But I learned a lot more. I think it's completely changed as far as budget. You know, what we can do now for what we, what we, what we spent on Gotham, we could probably do two seasons of, you know, the show, like half hour. You know, like we could do a lot more for what we've spent. Um, and I think budgetary, the budgets, you know, I, I learned a lot more about that and how to manage that. But it was different then. Everything was different back then. It was 2009. Um, the way to shoot these shows now is much more uh, budget-friendly for us, for anybody that's doing a show. That, and I also learned just how much I love it. Like, how much I love being behind the scenes, how much I love uh, producing and being that, that in that role. Like, you know, I wrote a little bit for Bold and Beautiful, and and it really wasn't right for me. It really wasn't the right fit for me in my life. So I kind of, something I always wanted to do. And when I was writing for the show, I just, it just didn't feel right on me. I, I didn't feel like it was where my future was. And then I've done a couple other things, but the producing element, like I would love to have been a producer on daytime. I mean, that's something I would have loved to have done in my career. Uh, and those opportunities aren't available to someone like me. But I can still do that in other projects and have an impact. Um, and I think that's something I took from Gotham. Like I really enjoyed being kind of in charge of, of making everybody happy and, and doing something they loved and, and putting out fires and uh, organizing everybody. Like I'm, I'm much more, I'm kind of a very nurturing person. So, and I think as an executive producer on a project, you need to be nurturing and you need to make people feel good and feel appreciated. And so if anything I've learned is that that is a role that feels really right on me. Um, uh, as an actress, I'd love to work more as an actress. That doesn't happen as often as I'd like, but the only other thing I can do in my career that feels right for me is to produce. It makes me feel as good as being an actor, which, which it's hard to find something that makes me feel as good as being a, an actor. Um, and this is a clo- very close second. And so if you could only years, do I've, if you could only do one or the other from now on, you only could do one, which would you do? I'd be an actor. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I am. You know, and my core, my heart is an actor. Uh, but the, the opportunities are so few for me that I need to find other ways to use my creativity or else I'm, I would go crazy. You know, we're, 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 that's who we are at our core. So, so you know, in a, in, in, this is the only business where when you're, when you're, when you have experience and you have 
decades of, of, of recognition that you can't do your craft. It's really the only one in, 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 you know, if you're a banker and you're a good banker, you could be a banker. If you're, there's a lot of things. If you're a nurse, you can always become a nurse practitioner. You can always go on to do something more. This is the only business where when you've actually gotten better at your craft and you've, and you've advanced that you can't do it all the time. So you must find other ways to use that element of your creativity to fulfill your deepest desires as a human being and a performer. So that's the closest thing I can get to, to, you know, actually playing the role and bringing those things, those, those, that passion that I have to the screen, I can do it other ways. We're actually down to the final moment, which I can't believe how quickly this went. I always find this happens when I talk to you. Um, Tell people where they can, you know, kind of find out more about weight, where they can, you know, keep track of you. Give people a little info. Thank you. Well, listen, I would, look, we've, if weightthesseries.com, keep watching it, share it. It's important. The, The more people who watch, the better. The more people who watch, the more we, that we can produce. And, you can follow me on Facebook at my Martha Byrne. I answer questions all the time and I'm always on and Twitter is Martha Byrne one zero on Twitter. And I'm going to be periscoping soon. I'm just not there yet. I'm getting there because I'd love periscope. I think it's fantastic. So I'll be doing that soon too, but thank you so much for your support and your kind words. It really means a lot to me. I look forward to talking to you more down the line. And I really, I have a feeling weight is going to be really big, and I'm very excited about it. For those Thank of you, you just tuning in, we've been talking to Martha Byrne, former Lily on As the World Turns. And before that, we were talking to Dr. Stephanie Torres, whose play you can find out more information about at Sex, Love, A-N-D, Yoga, Sex, Love, and Yoga. I want to thank all of you for joining me, and I hope that I've been at least a halfway decent substitute for your usual host, Dan Kroll. I'm Richard Sims. You can find me at soapsanddepth.com or uh, uh, How Rude Are You? You can find me anywhere on the Internet. Uh, And Dan will be back next week with a very special look behind the scenes of Winterthorn. So thanks, and uh, see you later. We reach a higher